0: Yes, this one. One more more time. Mm -hmm. Yo, do, re, me. Yo, yo, do, T. So, fa, la, T. Yo, yo, do, T. We back at it. It's not tragic, just bust the rust off old shit, new magic Bad habits and good intentions, misguided turns, honorable mentions It's life's mission, you're like a ticker tape parade and the clock's ticking And the pace of the fade is measured by the distance Defined by your grind, not the key that you're giving The higher the kite, the deeper the dumb shit So sit up or sit slack and let's get to something that we can then give back It's dopey Toodles or not, here we come
1: This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. They're created by Bob Forrest. They're located in sunny Southern California. Bob created Oro with his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to treat alcoholism and drug addiction with connection and compassion rather than control. Their team has decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI, They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Maybe you'd believe them because you've heard me say them so many times. Surfing, equine therapy, fucking sound bath meditation, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Everyone that I know that has been to Oro only says good things. They've been written up as one of the top five facilities in the world. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? It is an app on your phone that helps you get and it helps you stay sober. They have challenges that keep you mindful about the experience of using versus the experience of being in recovery. Mindfulness is a key to staying happy. Sober Buddy connects you to that. They just started a Facebook community. Check them out at Sober Buddy at Facebook. Join the growing community of Sober Buddy. I use the app on a daily basis. I find it to be a really good experience. So go to YourSoberBuddy.com, go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download Your Sober Buddy. Get seven days for free kick the tires, see what you like. They also have a free sober tracker so you can post your clean time and make everybody jealous or make everybody proud. Either way, it's at yoursoberbuddy.com. Check out your sober buddy. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at SoberLink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and providing it to your employer can be so difficult And our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used. And Soberlink sends the results directly to your specified contact. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash dopey. Check out Soberlink. Let them help you stay accountable. And of course, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Evolution Accounting and Consulting. If you are an entrepreneur, if you are a business owner, if you have a dream of making money with something that you do, you need a good accounting firm, which is why I suggest Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They have the means to let you pursue your dreams. That rhymes. They have the means to let... It's almost almost rhymes. They have the means to let you pursue your dreams. They run a very, very tight ship. They make sure that your payroll, your accounting, your taxes... All that stuff is covered so you can pursue everything that you want to pursue with your business. Most importantly, maybe, the owner is a fucking crackhead, but he's in recovery for years and he knows the struggles as well as the success. Use promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts today. Get the accounting support of Eric at Evolution Accounting and Consulting at www.evolution accounting.com. And before we get to the show, who can forget Recovery in the Middle Ages? An incredible podcast about two middle aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, alt recovery, the newest medical research, and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings, if the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, and MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That is middleagesrecovery.com. All right, enough with the ads. Here is the fucking show. Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and I'm at my father's apartment. And before we get into the show, I want to thank my old friend, Chaka, for doing that song in the front. I think it's a great song. Chaka's got a podcast called Cats in a Bag. It's on Apple. Check it out. I knew him a million years ago. He went to school with my friends Jeremy and Greg. He's a musical genius. Thank you, Chaka. Before we get to all the wonderful news about Dopecon, because Dopecon was one of the greatest things... I ever got to be involved with. But before we discuss the glories of DopeCon, I wanna just uh give condolences and a memorial to Molly Haggerty, who was a member of the Dopey Nation, and she died right after DopeCon. And um it's grim. Someone said that somebody would probably die just before DopeyCon because around Dopecon 2 Colleen MC had died. And uh You know, the deaths have been a huge reality of our population as we put out show after show after show. I didn't know Molly well. I actually didn't know Molly at all. I just know that she listened to the show, and uh, I don't know how she died. I know she was an addict in recovery, and, and I don't think it stuck, and I think she probably relapsed and overdosed, but I shouldn't even jump to any kind of conclusions. The point is that a bunch of us are addicts in recovery and if you're an addict in recovery, you need to, to manage some kind of vigilance on a daily basis and protect yourself. And, and we gave away Narcan at DopeCon. and we were together at DopeCon. So what I know about addiction and recovery and, and relapse and dying is that the more connections you have, the less chance that you will die. Like if you want to use, that's fine. Do that using thing where you call somebody before you use. Make sure somebody in the house has Narcan. Do whatever you can do to avoid dying. And that is my public service announcement before we get to the more celebratory aspects of this show. DopeyCon was a crazy success. It's probably the greatest one of the greatest successes I've ever uh, been involved with. So I cannot, uh, I cannot say enough good things about it. But before I even say anything good, I want to congratulate Katie Bates' mother. Katie Bates' mother, Leslie Taylor Bates, got 32 years. And I don't think my stupid sound effects work. I don't know how to get the sound effects to work again. That's going to be something I have to fix. So we're going to knock uh, the book against the table in honor of Chris's old vape knock. And to congratulate uh, Katie's mom, Leslie. And I want to congratulate everybody that came to DopeCon for coming and making it special. It was, um, I don't know, like, I know it sounds like I'm overdoing it, but the joy in the room was palpable. The vibe was intense and we've already started planning next year's DopeyCon and, uh, it's going to be bigger and better, bigger and better than ever. And today, shockingly, we have, a. Uh, Mark Maron on the show. Mark Maron is, came on the show. I met him in his hotel, and we did an interview, and uh, it was awesome. So before we get to Marin, I want to just remind you guys to go to Patreon. Go to Patreon. Last week, me and Ray did a comprehensive review of DopeyCon. Join Patreon. I, I put up an, a long fucking interview with Nick from Dark Side of the Spoon that is chock full of of drugs, addiction and dumb shit. So check that out. I also put up some Ray Brown music. I put up I'm putting up an old Andy Roy story. Join Patreon. If you join at the $5 level, you can join us in the Dopey Patreon Zoom, which is always just a really good time. Last Saturday of every month, we do the Dopey Patreon Zoom. If you want to join for 2 bucks, join for 2 bucks. If you want to join for 10 bucks, I'll send you stickers. 15, I send you socks. Join Patreon. It's getting me inches closer to getting out of catses, And we finally have released the Forever in Debt tank top, T-shirt, and hoodie. We are doing only pre-orders. Every order will be shipped at the end of, no, of I don't know, sometime in November. They will all get shipped. It will be prompt. I promise. I have DopeyCon merch, too. I'm going to post that on Instagram. We can deal with that. All of the forever in debt shit you can get at DopeyPodcast.com. All that nice shit was made by our friends at SRO Prince out of Cincinnati. They're junkies. So if you want the good Dopey shit, go to DopeyPodcast.com. If you want the DopeyCon shit, you just message me on Instagram and I will put it up there. Before we get to Marin, I just want to tell you guys this crazy story that happened at DopeyCon. I'm at DopeyCon and um, it's over. Everyone's getting Katzes and I'm literally running to fill up bowls with beans and rice for the vegetarians. I'm like working DopeyCon like it's a catering event. It's ridiculous. But uh, in the middle of all the hustle and the bustle, this guy comes up to me and he says, he says, hey, I I listened to your show and I heard this guy on the show that was a friend of mine. And what he was talking about was uh, Brian Connolly, who you guys might know as Hot Wheels. And and to anyone that never heard the Hot Wheels story, go back to the history of Dopey. Hot Wheels was an early listener who sent in a voicemail, a DMT voicemail, and then Chris and I had him on the show. And Hot Wheels was a guy who, on a bet or a dare, dove into a pond that was frozen and broke his neck. And now he's uh, paralyzed. And this guy that I met at DopeyCon pulled him out of the frozen pond. He hadn't talked to Brian in years. And I was like, well, why haven't you called Brian? And he did, and now they're reconnected. And that is just a miraculous thing out of uh, out of DopeyCon. And that's nothing compared to all these people that got together from all over the world that said they were seeing their best friends at DopeyCon. Oh, that's another thing. If you want to make cool friends all over the world, you have to check out uh, Dopey Zoom. It's free. It's uh, I think they have twenty six meetings a week. It's Zooms. I-, I will put it up on Instagram. The Zoom address is eight oh four three hundred five eight six. It is a lowercase toodles to get in. Every letter in toodles will get you in. The guys at Katz's were at DopeyCon. They were very impressed with uh with the Dopey Nation, and they were impressed with me, which was great. I had a lot of pride. It was two cutters that I used to. I used to and I waited tables at Katz's for a million years and these guys cut sandwiches for me. And then we would go on events for a million years and these guys would cut sandwiches for me at the events. And now they cut sandwiches at Dopecon and I was ridiculously proud. It's unreal and the meat was unreal, which brings me to our new sponsor, ButcherBox. ButcherBox has incredible meat that they ship to you. They shipped me this beautiful box of meat. It's just a beautiful package. They sent me ribs. They sent me ground beef. They sent me steaks. Everything arrived perfectly frozen and beautiful. For Thanksgiving, they are throwing in a free-range turkey without antibiotics or added hormones. The benefits of ButcherBox include peace of mind. They take the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat and seafood you can trust free shipping and no surprise fees. You choose from a variety of box plan options, from curated to customized and change your plan whenever you want. It is incredible value, high quality cuts. This meat is unbelievable. Linda couldn't believe what we had in the freezer right now. We're we're doing this crazy barbecue and I'm ridiculously excited. And Thanksgiving is coming up and sometimes getting the turkey is very stressful. But not with ButcherBox. ButcherBox is offering members of the Dopey Nation a free turkey with their first order. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com Dopey and use the code Dopey, that's D-O-P-E-Y, to get one 10 to 14 pound turkey free in your first box. That's ButcherBox.com Dopey. Use that code Dopey to claim your free fucking turkey. That's the best fucking offer we've ever had flanagling Mark Marin to come on the show this week I feel very good about and I don't know if it really was a flanagle because the truth is I invited Marin to do DopeyCon he said he wasn't going to be in town that week so it's like okay next next year scheduled around Marin's schedule but he was coming in the week after and he did that beautiful recorded message and, and i knew he was going to be in town so uh we were going to get lunch together at Katz's, and then i was listening to the stern show and stern started talking about this movie called to leslie which i had never heard of which was supposedly this big movie for drug addicts and alcoholics a big recovery movie and i was like that's interesting and then i listened to uh to Jan Wenner on Maren's show, and it turns out Maren's in the movie. I I had, I had kind of missed Howard mentioning that Maren was in the movie too. But not only is Maren in this movie, he's also uh, the executive producer. So when I saw him at Katz's, he was like, uh, I was like, why don't you come on and talk about uh, the movie? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, it's such a perfect fit to talk about alcoholism and recovery on Dopey. He's like, I don't know. And then I after I, I gave him a, a three-meat platter, pastrami, brisket, corned beef, latkes. And then after he ate most of a three-meat platter, he ate like a giant piece of chocolate babka, had a cup of coffee. I walk him to the hotel, and then like like it's a date. And then he's leaving, and I said, what, no hug? And he was like, he was a little bit... Put off by the fact that I demanded a hug. But he did give me the hug. But I did get stuck in my head thinking that I was such a weirdo to make this guy give me a hug. Which brings us to our next sponsor, betterhelp.com. Do you ever overthink things? Do you ever get caught up in problems and miss out on solutions? Lord knows I do when I find myself ruminating on why I I made Mark Maron hug me. But that's why. Online therapy is such a great thing. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver so you don't stay in the problem, even if it's a small problem, like forcing a a podcast legend to hug you. I got into therapy when I realized my brain would not get out of repetitive loops of misery. Therapy helped me get out of those loops. Therapy helped me find solutions to my problems, so if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, I cannot suggest BetterHelp enough. It's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today and get 10% off your first month. That's better. H e l p. dot com slash dopey podcast, and it's almost as good as a free turkey, but a clear head might be better than a free turkey. And now here's Mark Maron. Fuck it. This is Mark Maron today. It's Friday, and I was with him this morning. This is the interview, hot off the presses. Mark Maron on Dopey. Okay, it's
2: going. It's going. We're happening. It's happening. You're in charge now. Nice. It's I'm producing.
1: All right. It's good to be in charge. But you're always producing. Not
2: really. I mean, we're using my equipment in my hotel room because you were like, should I bring my stuff? Meaning, can we just use your stuff? Because I don't want to bring my stuff. I just figured you'd have to translate your your chunky
1: manipulation. Wow, you start you start with junkie manipulation. My question was: Do you want to come to my dad's or do you want to do it there? You, and your okay. reaction is: I'm not going anywhere. Was <laughs> yeah. your response exactly? That's like exactly. great. And what, then I What figured, would be the
2: benefit of me going to your dad's as opposed to us doing it like this? I, I, I'm just curious what you were thinking.
1: I think you could have seen a lot of more of Manhattan, seen a real like middle class Jewish household. Oh, really? In New you York were concerned. City.
2: You were trying to elevate me, I elevate was, my. Understanding of how people live in the city. Yeah, I was trying to yeah. give you a crash course I, I, in. in, in I, I don't think I'm not buying this.
1: Elderly educators that live in in the shtetl in Manhattan. Was he there?
2: He was there. Oh, so you want me to meet your dad?
1: I was hoping to take you home to meet my father. I thought it would be a very romantic thing. Oh, no, right. I just thought you'd get a kick out of it. Oh, I'm sorry. I just
2: uh, i i i don't uh, it's I don't know where all the time goes here, but um, but it goes. You know, things move quick here in New York somehow for me. Like, if I would have done that, I wouldn't have had the time. I got to go up to uh, Town Hall because we're going to do a a tech scout for the special. So I have to sort of go up there and be there at 1130, get COVID tested because I don't know what people are still doing that. Did you bring my green shirt?
1: No, but I brought you you this shirt. You
2: ready? Is it more dopey merch?
1: Yeah, but this is new stuff. I brought you... The DopeyCon shirt.
2: I have the hat.
1: You have this hat. You got the Big Bird hat? Yeah, I do. Fucking shit. Here, yeah. look at this. You ready? Yeah. It's beautiful.
2: Oh, look at that. Uh, our Chrome ripoff. Yeah. Okay. All right, fine. Yeah. Maz- it's weird that you're, like, I didn't realize just how much of a fucking hippie you are.
1: I'm just, a, I'm, I'm an admirer of the hippie scene. You're you're just like that. You're the same way. I have, I've, I have it in me. You're the same way. I'm, I have it in me. I'm not over... I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, and they yeah. said they expected me to be a lot more hippy-dippy than I actually was. What,
2: from what? how you talk on your show?
1: Yeah, and I just... My influences... Like, your influences are in, you know, rock and roll, and then it turns into the blues, and now, now you're fishing around jazz and all this stuff. My influences... We're in like New York City hip hop and, and unfortunately New York City ska music, which diverted me into the hippie world. So I think. Oh, I see. I yeah. think like whatever. And I am I didn't even introduce you. I I'm, mean, I, I missed the hip hop thing. Wow. I mean. I mean, I didn't.
2: I wasn't involved in it because like there was a period there. You want to introduce who I am? Uh,
1: please keep going. No, go ahead. Well, for people who don't know, I had the great fortune of of Mark Maron is here. He's, I'm in Mark Maron's hotel room. He's bartering
2: meat. It's, it's a great fortune of being my meat purveyor.
1: Well, this is a different thing.
2: I, I am a great purveyor of meats for, for Maron. I, I feel responsible. I'm like I got to do this podcast. Once every four years just to keep my meat habit going when I go to New York. No. <laughs>
1: and I was, like, I was like, do you want to get something to eat? And you were like, sure. And I was like, is there any way we can go anywhere besides Katz's? And you're like, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. I just was hoping we could go somewhere else. Where? Where would you go? I would go anywhere. I, I don't want to go there. Well, I, liked- I
2: understand. But, th- but, but, but that's what we do. There's places i go with other people it's not my fault you work there but i mean i like today i'm probably going to go to veselka with brendan and i just because that's i I go there i sometimes i think like why mogador is the other place i go to mogador i go to veselka sometimes i go to joe's for a slice i go to Katz's and Kiklides up on first avenue but you
1: you always go to these same places that's right you need to go elsewhere
2: but this is what, you know, I'm not here in New York that much, so part of me wants to connect with that
1: shit. Viselka, I would say, has the best chicken soup in Manhattan. Really? You have you the chicken
2: soup there? I always get the uh, hot borscht, maybe four pierogies boiled. Pierogies, chicken akasha. soup,
1: the fucking, uh, the chicken, uh, what do you call it? The chicken cutlet. No, the chicken cutlet. The, chicken they cutlet they do.
2: the fried chicken cutlet. Very delicious. Sure. But
1: but the chicken soup is like 100% best chicken soup you can get no in Manhattan. No shit. I, I never have it. Well get it But you're uh, not sick it's, it's good if you're sick But Mark just what? did this movie no. Called To Leslie will not we talk about Something else before we no, no 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 I just want to make it clear How I really got you To come on the show Because you weren't going to Fucking come on the show for me <sighs> It was not about the meat Let's just take a moment here It was about the fact That you did a quintessential Alcoholism recovery movie And you're like Well he has an alcoholism Recovery show I'd be a fool Not to take advantage Of my friend Dave the, Well I I'm not
2: sure who t- who's taking advantage of who. but Fair.
1: <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but,
2: but yeah, I figured it's a small movie. You know, your audience is... Small. No, no, no. I was going to say specific. For uh, sure. And, 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 and probably a good audience for this movie. So given that there's limited opportunity in terms of promoting the thing, and it doesn't seem like it got a lot of publicity, and I, you know, the only thing I, they had me do... Well, I interviewed the director on my show, Michael. I heard that today. It was good. And I did Corden, which means nothing. And and just I don't I didn't see it get any traction anywhere. I didn't do you know, I didn't do the bigger shows and no one was I didn't see Andrea on anything.
1: I couldn't put the pieces together. I heard you talk about it and then I heard Howard Stern talk about it. Yeah, someone told me
2: like the day after that happened that he like was uh, singing my praises.
1: And then he said it was the most important it was a really important movie for drug addicts and alcoholics. And I was like, wait a second. And I and I put all the pieces together. And I was yeah. like, that's Maren's fucking movie. Yeah. And then uh and then you were coming. And I was like, wait a second. This is this seems like something I should know about. And I watched it and uh, we can go back to New York City restaurants, but this movie is really good. Yeah. Not only is it really good, it really captures the spirit of of affliction, yeah. alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, and you were not brought in because you're an alcoholic in recovery.
2: No, no. The director brought me like he kept pestering me, you know, in a way like we, we shot that in peak COVID. Like it was, it was like real bad COVID, like no vaccine COVID, you know? And it was, I, I just, it was a tough time for everybody. I'm like, what do I need to do it for? Yeah. Even after I read the script. Even though I saw it was about an alcoholic, and I saw my part in it, I didn't see me in that part for some reason. I'm like, "There's other guys that can do this,
1: right?" It didn't feel like a Marin-esque part to me, which yeah. is why it was really impressive. You but, know, but
2: it, the, but the point is, like, so it wasn't about me being an alcoholic. The, I think the guy, Mike Michael,
1: Michael Morris,
2: Michael Morris, the director, was really taken by the show Marin. One of the few people I was,
1: I liked it too. <laughs>
2: But I think specifically that last season, which was the fictional relapse.
1: That was the best season by far. Yeah, it that was great.
2: my choice. It was good. And that was, yeah, because that was the path not traveled, thank God. And also that scene in Sword of Trust in the back of the truck. That I never great.
1: saw Sword of Trust. Yeah,
2: that seems to move everybody. Uh, in my monologue in the back of the truck, about it's also about drug addiction. And in Sword of Trust, you know, my character moves down south to, to live with his family you know with an uncle he took over a pawn shop with a woman that they were in a band together kind of but they were both junkies and he got clean and she was still in and out that was played by Lynn Shelton the late Lynn Shelton so i think he got taken with those things and was convinced emotionally that i should be the guy in this movie and i and i wasn't going to do it i was like fuck it
1: and it was only two week shoot you know was, he shot that whole movie in like 3 weeks on film it looks so beautiful it doesn't it also feels Like it takes place in the 80s Maybe because it's on film Maybe because it's poor people in Texas The only time in the movie That you don't feel like you're in the 80s Is when the kid is on his dating app On the phone
2: Right Well I think I I don't know if it's I I think there is a a, a sense of that Just in Texas in general I mean if you're not going to malls or whatever Yeah the phone thing Yeah I could see that But I wonder if he did that on purpose Because it's interesting It does sort of have a relatively timeless feel i mean bikers are bikers
1: <laughs> alcoholics are alcoholics right. and motels are motels right for right. sure
2: but uh yeah i mean that's interesting I, I think that not to focus on any of that outside stuff and just keep it about people because so much of that was shot pretty close right up on there but anyway so he tries to talk me into it but not through through my management i'm like you know, get somebody else Get you know i but then he has chelsea handler reach out to me because he's friends with her and I know Chelsea, but you know, you don't, she's like, you know, my friend Michael wants you to do his movie. Will you call him? And you don't want to fuck with Chelsea Handler. You don't want, you don't want to say no.
1: What happens if you fuck? I didn't know Chelsea had this kind of, I mean, I knew she had the show on E! and whatever. Does she have that I, much? D- this do you
2: is- know her personality? Do you want to be on the bad side of that?
1: Well, I, I, no, I didn't, wouldn't. I would not want that.
2: <laughs> so like, no matter, it's not like we're close friends or anything, but, but also like, I think I resist. Not unlike I resist doing this show. With you or anything else, like initially, like because I know if I got nothing to do, I'm, I'll have a fine conversation with you. But when someone asks me to do something I'm like that, ah, why?
1: But um, you're an actor, right? I mean, you're—I mean, you're a podcaster, you're an author, you're a stand-up and you're an actor don't but forget you, musician and a musician that's true but it's like and you just played a show last night
2: yeah but i don't consider myself uh, anything okay. other than a comic okay you don't not really i but, mean I, I will i will cop to being a uh, an interview uh, not an interviewer yeah podcaster why not
1: and then now you're fucking doing a lot of work around acting how could you not cop to being an actor we were talking about it in Cats's yesterday and yeah. i will quote you i did the work i did do the work doesn't that make you an actor I did the work this
2: time. Uh, more like, look, man. You know, when I was in college, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be an actor. You know, and when I was a kid, you know, in junior high, I did plays, you know, a few plays. And then when I got to, uh, I didn't do anything in high school. And then when I got to college, you know, I took a class in the School of Fine Arts and I was in Stage Troupe. So, you know, that was the non school of fine arts acting thing, you know. Right. For, and I did some plays there. And then, you know, when I got out of college, uh, you know, it was all comedy all the time, but I took some acting classes in San Francisco. It was always something I wanted to do, but I never, I never lived the life because I can't. I wouldn't be able to hack it. it. It was not. It was a dream, but it became an impractical dream at some point because what was I wasn't it? the huh?
1: rejection, the fact that other people control your destiny more than you do. I, I think it was
2: really just that. Like I never understood how show business worked, and I knew how comedy worked. I could be like a, a roaming drug addict, alcoholic, and and just do comedy and live life. Completely on my terms, you know, which was not great, but it wasn't horrible. But when I was in New York, when I was here and when I moved down, I moved after the first rehab, I went to Boston and then I got a place down here. But it was just that I, you know, all I did was walk around with a notebook and, and, you know, think about jokes to do that night. But the acting thing. I never thought I was good enough and I, and I, you know, when I had an agent, you know, they'd send me out on two auditions and if you didn't land something, you were shelved and that life was just crazy and I never quite, I had some pretty embarrassing moments in auditions because I never grasped the nature of, like, to to be a sitcom actor is not really to be an actor, you know, and I never, like, I just remember one time, (laughs) did I ever tell you that
1: time? Tell me, please. I went in on that audition? No, tell the story.
2: I can't remember. I don't think I was sober yet, you know. And it was like this audition. They were doing a show that takes place behind the scenes at a music TV network, and it was a network show. You know, I can't remember which network—NBC or something.
1: Some like MTV Takeoff kind of thing. Not for a the takeoff.
2: Of... It was. It was like it, it was more of a, a, a gritty kind of what's going like a Larry Sanders for the MTV network, but not a comedy. So you're dealing with the behind <laughs> okay. the scenes thing. Okay. And I'm supposed to play this. Uh, I'm auditioning for the part of this kind of like you know uh, drug addicted, angry director guy. Or I don't even know what his position was. All I know he was angry, and you know they wanted me. And somehow I made it to uh, you know the second callback or You know I had to go. I was going to go in front of the studio people and the network people, right? So that's uh, I, I forget what that's called because I, I think I'm I think I have dementia. So
1: <laughs> at least diabetes. But continue. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But anyway, so like I, I'm there, you know, I'm with the guy one of the, the guy from Trading Places is there. Not Tom Hanks, the other guy. You know, there's the actors, you know Bosom Buddies. Bosom buddies, yeah. And uh there's the actors around big actors, and I'm always sort of like, What am I doing here? One of these guys, you know, these are the real the guys. big the big co star from
1: trading Places from bosom
2: buddies. Right, yes. right. And there there's a couple yeah. other actors there and they're all kinda of picking his his mind about you know auditioning. I'm like, What the fuck am I doing here?
1: you know? So
2: the woman comes up to me before I go in to this room in front of this long table. Uh, it was an office, a large office with studio execs, you know, network execs, and you know, and I kind of know the lines. And she's just like, uh, "Look, man, you know, this guy's an angry guy. Just you know, cut loose, you know, like go for it." But I, I don't think I understood exactly that there were limitations, or I how like, angry were you were supposed to that's be. That's right, right. Or, or the character. So, like, I went in. <laughs> she there. didn't know how
1: angry you were capable exactly. of being, basically. And
2: I just went in there and unloaded a lifetime's worth of anger. You
1: unleashed the kraken. Totally.
2: Yes. And 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 I just remember after I did it, there was this look in the room, like, Can,
1: call security. Yeah, get this guy out <laughs> of here. <laughs> you know,
2: that was like that was sort of like that was the end in, end of the acting for a while.
1: Well, you're, I mean. I didn't see sort of trust, but I've seen a lot of stuff you were in. And uh, you play yourself, you played yourself in a lot of things. Like if you go through IMDb, it's a lot of Mark Marin as Mark Marin. And then. But those are specials usually. Well, also on Marin, on Louie's show, on whatever, you play yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. doing a cameo or just whatever. Or when you play Jerry Wexler, you're very Jerry Wexler, yeah. but there's a lot of Mark Marin in Jerry Wexler sure. or vice versa.
2: Like, name me an actor that doesn't do that.
1: I don't know. I don't know anything about acting. No, I I'm know you and that, I watch
2: your stuff. But I'm just saying like cuz I I've, I've wrestled with this shit before. It's like am I doing it at all? I mean, people know me too well, for, for one, right? Cuz you know, I'm a comic. I'm you know, I'm on the podcast every week. So there's no way for me to escape Mark Marin, but if I wasn't talking publicly. Like if you look and I'm not comparing myself to movie stars, but most of the guys that, you know, you see act that are not character actors, you know, you can totally see them. Do you know Clooney, Pitt, you know, right. Sam Rockwell, even to a degree, and you want that
1: because that's what they bring. They well, bring but, themselves,
2: kind of. But like, there's, there's just they're tweaking things. I mean, some of those guys will do the deeper work than you know, like Sam will. But I think, like, when I played Sam Sylvia, again, not comparing myself to them, but this was a rationalization I had to put in place in order for me to understand, like, am I doing it or am I not? I mean, the truth is, is, like, if you can be on camera and you're not looking over your shoulder because there's a camera there or experiencing self-consciousness, if you're in the present of the scene and you're engaging with it, I mean, you're doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the difference between a porn actor and a fucking real actor well, is like... A really that,
1: good porn actor, though. Even a really good
2: porn actor. I mean, like, when the fucking starts, okay, this is what this guy does. The talking's not his thing. But essentially, when he's talking or she's talking, that's what bad acting looks like. Completely self-conscious, incapable of character, uh, you know, not even connecting to the lines. And, you know, and then you get to the fucking, like, now this is what... That's why no one gives a shit about story and porn, but... <laughs> to, to to get back to it but the way i was like i had to believe that i had some basic capability of being present and engaging in the scene right so when i did sam sylvia and glow that wasn't really me that guy was not self-conscious that guy was not neurotic that guy was all up front you know he he, he right he was sort i understand of what you mean living by his ego i mean like sure the the way i talked was like me
1: but a mark maron Fan, like somebody who listens to you, yeah, who doesn't know you, right will see pieces of you. And in this movie, of in this movie, yeah. I only got one piece of you at one moment in the movie where you're telling her how much money she's gonna make. Yeah, that's a classic Marin thing. ten, no seven <laughs> that that's right. a classic right. Marin moment. yeah, and this movie is um. And then I, what I was going to say is like someone like Tom Hanks. We're talking about the Elvis movie yeah, yesterday. Right. There's no Tom Hanks in that, in the Colonel. No, you can't find him in there. Really, no. you know, he's hidden in, in yeah, of layers of makeup and fat. Yes. No, I, I
2: imagine if Tom was just playing it as Tom, you'd be like, "There's a little Hanks." He's, right? bus- he's in.
1: *Bosom Buddies*. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so this movie is a is a quintessential addiction recovery movie, and you're a quintessential alcohol ick in recovery. So like,
2: I'm a codependent in this movie.
1: But in your real life, you're an alcoholic in recovery. I've
2: done I've done a lot of time as a codependent.
1: Okay, so you you understand the part, but it's
2: the worst. How Code much Codependency is like arguably much worse.
1: Break it down. Uh, how you are like I don't want to give away this movie at all, but like I wanted to know how much they mine you for the addiction recovery stuff when you're on set, when you're a part of it. You're the executive producer of this movie. That just that's just a credit, but I know it's, but it's impressive. It's yeah.
2: impressive. It's it's it, it, but. You know, they. I don't know how that all works. You, you know what I mean? It's one of those. You know, Nobody nego- knows. Nobody well, knows. It's, how it's that a negotiating works. point. You know, it's like, we, you know, it's part of like the deal. Like, oh, you're only going to pay him that. We give him an, an EP credit. Right. Okay. Sure. 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 But, uh, but no. I think the thing was, there. It wasn't. There, there was no talk about my alcoholism, really. There was an interesting conversation, in post production that I'll, I'll get to, but. When I when I decided to do the part, the thing that made it different for me in terms of an actor is because, like, to be honest with you, acting is is is, film acting is tedious, and it's it's not that satisfying in a lot of ways. It's a lot of waiting, and I'm not good at that. You know, there's a lot of food around so you're waiting, you're eating half donuts and you go back and eat the other half. And then, you know, you're talking to the crew, you're talking to craft services, you're, you're hanging out in your trailer in a robe, you know, you, you're looking at your little sides to, but you're doing, you, you know, you're doing a page and a half, two pages at a time, sometimes three or four pages, but that, that's a big chunk. So you're doing these little pieces and you sort of have to stay the argument I'm making is that in order to find film acting, satisfying You've really got to be moving towards these scenes that, you know, shoot in like a minute and a half and find some satisfaction creatively in doing that. And for me, a guy who does comedy or talks, you know, in the moment, it's 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 challenging. But there's still part of me that's sort of like, I want to do this. I want to try. I want to do the acting. Like, I imagine theater would be much more daunting and much more interesting and much more exciting as an actor.
1: And satisfying to you because there's immediate gratification.
2: Well, no, it, well, not immediate gratification, but you're in it. You know, once the play starts... You're in
1: it, and then it's done, and it's over. And But it's, but it's not, a, right.
2: a full thing. It's not a minute at a time. Right. Yes. Right. And, you know, you kind of lock in, and you're like... So... So when I decide to do this part, I'm on the phone with Michael Morris and I'm like, look, man, I don't see how this is me. But, you know, you've convinced me that I'm the one you want. And it's, it's not because you just can't get everybody, anybody else. So I, I'm like, all right, so how am I going to approach this? And I'm like, I don't know about the accent because it's like texting." But then like what was happening is like, dude, it's fucking middle of COVID. You know, this is an in-town job. And, and, and what is being asked of you? Is that you really act? So if you're going to take this chance, I mean, if you want to try to do this, you have, this is an opportunity to do that.
1: It's a real movie. I, I, well, it looks just like for Texas. Me, it was in Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, for me, it wasn't even the movie. It was just sort of like you're going to try to be somebody that's not you. You're going to act. You're not going to. You know, you're not the neurotic guy. You're not the Jew guy. You're not. You know, you're not the angry guy. You're not the cranky dad or or the cranky guy. That this is a total. This is and. and and I realized in that moment, it's like, well, this is, this is it. This is going to be the test. This is going to take a certain amount of courage on my part to somehow not be self-conscious about doing a, a, an accent and not be you know, self-conscious about sort of like figuring out a way into this guy that really you know, isn't, you know, I'm going to use my own resources, but I've got to do the job. And I've talked to enough actors and I've done enough acting to try to do the job and not just get away with it, Right.
1: I find that in my experience with you, yeah. you've had a, a knack for keeping me at arm's length, which is, I, I commend you for that. Or having boundaries, right? You, you have- I, You must
2: be like one of the only people. There's certain people, like I like you, I know you get me, I, and I know we're Jewish, and we connect, and you, you know. but I also, I've lived a long life, and I've met characters like you before. Yes. <laughs> but what so, I mean but, is this. So it's a rare, a boundary is rare for me, but go ahead. What I
1: mean is you strike me as somebody that has boundaries, and are capable well, of
2: That's g- just a challenge for you. Maybe.
1: But I'm not talking about me. I'm All talking right, about you and ahead, the part. Good, sorry. In the part, yes. this character you play, this guy right. Sweeney, is open. He needs people. He's like... He's just so giving and loving. He's this person of service. Like, hardcore. And I feel like I get a glimpse of you on the inside that you don't want to show other people... Do you feel like that when you play a character that isn't the cranky Jew, right, the right, neurotic right. Jew, yeah, yeah. this giving, warm, nurturing character? But the, the funny thing
2: is, is like I, I think that those things are true to a degree. But I think the way I saw Sweeney really was, and there's a you know there's a funny thing about getting to the character. Like you know, I I told Michael I said I don't think I can do this accent. But then I you know I met with a, a dialect coach, and we went over it. You know, and I'm like, I'm going to fucking try this. You know why I had confidence to do that? Because, you know, I had interviewed James Kahn right? Before he died. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, and, you know, I did a bunch of research. I watched a bunch of his old movies. But I watched a really old movie, The Rain People, which is a, it's Francis Ford Coppola's first movie. And it's a weird movie. I think it's Shirley Knight and Khan. And Khan and plays, like, this this ex-college football player who got hit in the head too hard. So he's like the... Like he's got you know he's he's a, affected. A, yeah, he's a, like a uh, mentally d- yeah. disabled, yes, but he's still at the school. He like he's the guy with the broom and you know with the the other people are sort of like, you know what happened to that guy. but he plays his character, but he does an accent, you know, and this James Conn early in his career does an accent, it's okay. And then I watched him in a western where he did you know, an accent it was okay. and I'm like, oh, all you got to do is try. I mean, if the character's good, you know, it's, it, the accent's ultimately not going to matter. And I just knew from experience and from watching other people, just don't ever try to do a Boston accent. You know, you could. there's a lot of accents you can do. Can you do a Boston? I could, I could probably do it. With a live- dark
1: beer? You want some chowder? No? Yeah.
2: Ah, fuck. Yeah, like, uh, I could do it if I, if I set my mind to, because I lived up there a long time. But anyway, so that gave me confidence. of Like, these great actors have tried it, and very few of them succeed. They go in and out if you pay attention. So I was sort of like, all right, fuck it then. I'm going to try it but approaching the emotional sphere of the character. See, I didn't really see him like that. I saw him my the way I went into it was like, you know, whatever this guy's life was, he ended up here. Right. And and it's not a great place. And you know, you know something didn't work out and he's been humbled. You know, he's not bitter. So like he's he's resigned to he's surrendered to his his place in life. And, and you know, and he'd been through a lot with a lot of chaos, a lot of different, like whatever the hell happened with that guy that broke him, that whatever, you know, uh, negotiations he had to make with himself around alcoholism, around his divorce, you know, he, you know, he somehow, in my mind, was probably really kind of, he probably made a, a real mess of stuff. Like, I don't think he handled the end of his marriage well. I'm sure he was an angry guy. I'm sure that, you know, to be you know, left by uh, an His, alcoholic wife. And like, I, I know what that feels like. So he's on the other side of that, and now he's surrendered. So he's got this, you know, he's hes humbled by life. I didn't see him as this nurturing guy. I saw him as a guy that is completely prone to codependency. And, and if you're a codependent person, you have no control over that, especially if you don't fucking work a program. If you don't do an Al-Anon thing and you don't know how to detach, I mean, you're gonna lock right in with whatever lunatic comes your way. And in automatically interface with them emotionally, and you're going to end up exhausted. Right. Yeah, of course. So, so like I think the risk of that is here. These are not sober people, right? So what you're seeing here is is uh, he's connect-
1: the closest to it. Your character is the closest. Yeah, to but a but sober he, but person. he's
2: also like you know, if you've been through this stuff, you, you know, like much of your audience and me, it's like you're you're not you're not comforted by the fact. Well, I'm just glad they both have a program. I mean they the think is yes. you know through all this this thing you're like this could blow up at any second this is a fucking disaster. So I think that's what makes it more real, especially for drug addicts and, and I think for people in general though they may not know it is that you know these are people struggling you know almost entirely unsupported.
3: you
2: when know you, like he's supporting her but he's putting himself at a tremendous risk. I mean you know she could
1: relapse at any second you know the fact that you, you don't play that out, Right. You know, and you feel like it's coming all the whole of, way through. Of course. When, when there's a scene that I'm going to give away where, where she's kicking, she's, she's withdrawing from alcohol, yeah. and you decide you're going to plant yourself, your character, Sweeney, decides he's going to plant himself in the hotel room yeah. and prevent her from leaving, which she asks him to do. Yeah. I'm watching it, and I'm like, have you ever been in that situation on either side? Have you ever had someone who kept you in the hotel room, or have you ever kept somebody in the hotel room, or house, or apartment?
2: My experience with that was, you know, I'd been on, a, not not in an emotional way. I'd been on a, a, like one or two 12 step calls, you know, uh, that were real, you know, back in early sobriety where, you know, another guy is sort of like, I got to go, we got to go get this guy. You know, so, and it was scary. It's scary. You know, I remember one 12 step call where I went out with this guy, Tim, to out to the desert, you know, to, to pick up, I don't know if it was a sponsee or whatever. But, the, you know, we get there to take this guy to rehab and you're supposed to go. You got to go with two because the risk of relapse. Right. So there's two of us and I'm not I'm pretty sober. I think a couple few years. Right. The risk wasn't that I was going to use. But you get to this fucking place where this guy's whacked on meth or crack or whatever. And there's a, a roommate there and they're fighting. He's got blood on his head. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? How are we going to get this guy in the car? <laughs> How did you do it? Well, he knew it was coming and he knew it was right. So in the middle of all the chaos, you know, it's sort of like we're, we're going. He's like, I just got, let me just get my, you know, like, it's like, all right. So we did it. I mean, we got him to the place, but it was horrendously frightening and weird to have a guy, you know, still high on those kind of drugs. Yes. You know, trying to get him over to this, you know, rehab. But so I had some experience with that and I, and I've had experience with, you know, certainly living with active You know drug users
1: What about yourself Were you ever in a situation Where you tried to kick something And you had somebody stay with you And you were like Please try not to let me leave No I've been in that situation A a number of times And I I like went to someone's house In in Mount Vernon And I was like I'm kicking dope I'm not not leaving Yeah the
2: dope thing I can't like You see it's hard for me to imagine Because every time That I've gotten sober Like I, I was depleted like you know my you, you know my commitment wasn't as physical as as dope is so it was either blow or booze or what you know well, but her usually,
1: commitment to booze really felt like that a, junkie, a junkie yeah, no, no that's detox. bad alcohol yeah
2: bad alcoholism you know where you, you know you're shaking and you know and like she probably could have that, died that's right it, you know if that was you know on the left there was somebody in recovery in this movie.
1: Get her some phenobarbital exactly. quick. Yeah. We'll get her to she's a rehab. Gonna seize. Right. right. Yes. Get
2: her on, you know, valium or whatever it takes. Uh Yeah, so that was that was interesting cuz you know, you're framing this as a recovery movie, but it's more of a a a sort of raw, you know, struggle with with trying to kick without help in a way other than this codependent guy who like falls in love with her. Almost immediately. Yeah, homeless. He's yeah. like,
1: "That's that's mine. That's yeah. the one for me. Yeah, yeah. That's there, my like, dream." Wandering
2: yeah. around by the dumpster. Yeah. with a pink suitcase. <laughs> it's yeah,
1: it's the best. And it's like, and I, I, I can, you know, I, I, I love that part. It's like, oh boy, and you hear your. I, I wonder if he had us hear your voice, so people are like, "It's Maren."
2: Oh, I don't know. For, I don't think so. I always suspect that. Like, you know, they're just involving me, so I'll help promote it. But like, why would a guy give me his movie?
1: I don't he mean that. I mean, movie. in the movie, yeah. you hear your voice for yeah. like 10 seconds before you see you. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and if you're a listener, yeah. you're like there's oh, yeah. I don't think so. I think that like,
2: you know, I don't think he was that f- specifically focused on me. I think that the task at hand was to shoot a movie on film, you know, inside of three weeks. And, and it's like a lot of things had to keep, had to work. So, you know, I, did, I showed up ready to work, you know, in that COVID environment. And, you know, I had a, I had a piece of paper with my phonetic sort of uh, translations of how to talk uh, Texan. And I was making choices around the parts. And that was the, the other thing is that in terms of doing the job, once I locked into the guy and realized that this guy, he's a humbled guy. You know, he's not angry. He's not, you know, he's been through everything. And, you know, he wants to help this person, but it's mixed up with emotions too. Like, because he couldn't help the last person. And, and that really blew up in his face. But, you know, he can't help... But you know, try to help this type of person and, and have a feelings for that person. And I have that. I went through severe codependency with in well into sobriety that got me into Al Anon rooms. It got me into slaw rooms. Like I could not I didn't I had no idea what it was. Because when I was when I first got sober with Mishnah, I mean we used to go to double winter meetings and she had a very was very uh more educated and informed about how recovery worked. Cause you know, she was desperate I think when she got in and young, but she completely understood Al-Anon to me, it was just sort of like, we're going to double winner meeting, which means there's going to be Al-Anons in there. And we're like, you know, predators, you know, like we're the wolves, you know, the, we're the enemy. You know, if you're in a room with an Al-Anon, they're just looking at you like you, you did this to me, right? You're right. why I'm here. And you, I, could, you're
1: also the prize pig though. At the same time, you're, sure. you're what they want. I know. You know? I know exactly. Yeah.
2: But it was like, I didn't understand the nature of the disease mm. of codependency until I fucking hit the wall, like w- years into sobriety, like, you know, less than a decade ago with, the, with that woman that I dated with, who, like, I was, I, I just, nobody said anything, but she was an active user. She, you know, what had, was she using? Well, she would, she would drink and she smoked weed every day, but, but she was, you know, had mental problems. But I just found her to be, you know, very exciting. There was a lot of drama, and like, but like, I, I, I got us into couples therapy because I wanted her to get better. Like, I thought I was fine, right? Yeah, I was letting her smoke weed in my house all day long, right? You and, know, and you're in recovery, totally, right? But I, like, and I couldn't see my own codependency, and when I finally extricated myself from it, I had to go to fucking Al-Anon meetings to get Al-Anon support so I wouldn't engage with her. Like I had to literally call other people when I was about to call her,
1: because I, I couldn't keep the boundary, because she was the substance in the end. Totally, amazing. So like, I get it. That's why I got to AA because yeah. I felt like that about my, my daughter's mother. Yeah. I went to AA to give up the compulsion for her, yeah. more than anything else. I was just smoking weed when I got sober. Yeah, in the end. Yeah. Um, so I can relate to that. Uh, how long did you do Slaw? I just checked in with that. It's, it's
2: a weird one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got to kick out of that place. It's like graduate level codependency stuff.
1: It's serious business over there.
2: Yeah, you know, because it's like one of those things where, you know, you have to determine your 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 bottom bottom line. line. It's
1: crazy. It's (laughs) crazy. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to tell anybody that anything at SLAW isn't great. If you get something good out of SLAW, it's just just like, it
2: really comes down to like, do you want to ruin jerking off for yourself?
1: I, it's like, I haven't jerked <laughs> off for, for a month. I yeah. haven't had sex with yeah. a French prostitute for six years. I haven't, yeah. you know, it's like, it's great. Because the, the play-by-play for a voyeur go to slaw. Yeah. If you want to get some real, I mean, that's not right. I that's, shouldn't say uh, well, that. We'll, I shouldn't yeah, say Yeah,
2: yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't uh, diminish the safety of the rooms. I, yeah. want,
1: I want to ask you something very serious. But I
2: learned something there. I did learn about sexualizing and objectifying and, you know, you know getting on to yourself around that kind of stuff. But I I didn't stick in that program. I mean, Al-Anon was helpful. What I would really like to do is go to some ACOA meetings. They seem to be the one. I got to do something. ACLA? ACOA, Adult adult Children of Alcoholics.
1: I didn't know your parents were alcoholics. My dad's
2: a manic depressive. My mother has eating disorders. I mean, you know, it's not, they weren't. close enough. Well, yeah, I mean, the issues are going to be the same. Right. That erratic kind of like, you know. Non love, needy, uh, emotionally kind of explosive. It's all there.
1: So you're looking for a new spot to go because you're not enjoying the old spot.
2: No, I, every time I go to AA, I, I, you know, I get moved and I get into the narrative and stuff. And but I, maybe mistakenly, I, I don't think I'm at a high risk for using. But there are components of my isms that you know I, I could tweak a little bit that I, I think are they're not deeper than AA, but the conversation is more around. You know, family stuff than than it is around the actual using.
1: Do you sponsor anybody? No. You should.
2: You should. I know. I I I know, but I I, I again, for you
1: for you, not for
2: them. I know, but the boundary thing gets a little weird, right. and because I'm a my a, a, a sort of a low-level public personality, yeah, it it I don't know what their intentions are. No, I get it. I get All it. I'm
1: just whatever. Who cares?
2: Uh, one last thing about the movie. Yeah. Well, we can talk about the yeah the movie.
1: I have one more question, and it's just a very powerful moment at the end where she's at the bar right? and she says to the guy, there's some beautiful man at the bar and she says to the man, uh, just tell me I ain't a piece of shit. Yeah. And then in a, a tear, like it's very, yeah. But like, is it, how connected to that line are you just needing someone to tell you you're, I mean like, or when you were in active addiction, yeah. tell me I ain't a piece of shit for some reason. I haven't been that in that I've been okay for a little while and I don't feel that badly about myself, but I felt that line tell, and I feel like it really is the story of addiction. Tell me I ain't a piece of shit. Well, you know, it's, you know, I think
2: that when you have that brain for whatever reason you have it, where, you know, you're whatever sort of voice of self parenting you put in your head, right? Uh, Is constantly telling you you're not good enough or you're that you know you're a bad person or you know or you know or you lock into you know things that you fucked up and you hang on to that you know I don't know I still wrestle with all that shit and you know and uh, you know it comes and goes I mean sometimes I I feel pretty good about my work I feel see like I can feel good about like, the, like you, you know, I'm not a great musician, but last night I played well. But here's what's going on at the, uh, on the other side of that. If anything's going good in my life, I'm only like, you know, two thoughts away from the bad part. Yeah. Well, I'll find it. Right. Like, you know, hey, everything's great. And then my brain's sort of like, yeah, but why don't we like, go through coming. the files? Right.
1: Right. What? Let's really look at what happened. I don't here.
2: have a lot of future dread, but it's sort of like, you know, but you fuck this up or like, you know, but this isn't great or, you know, is your how was, it's well, I guess it's future in a little bit, but I start to worry. I start to freak out. I I start to you know terrorize myself with shit
1: and yeah that comes and goes and it's a real fucking drag now did you play harmonica at the show last night i did a little that's awesome i saw the the d harp sitting out there yeah
2: i didn't i'm not a great harp player i'm an, i'm an okay blues guitar player uh, i can i can i can play a few notes with feeling on the harp but i don't have a lot of control over it I I can fake it
1: I hear you I I, it's one of my great regrets is that I didn't try harder when I was a kid I played harmonica and I got to a place where I couldn't break through that place yeah but it was good enough it was kind of like the the Mick Jagger feeling right well yeah
2: but that's the problem with I guess maybe guys like us or whatever it's like you you know you just want to be you know good enough to where you know you can kind of like that you get right to the precipice of you know I could really do this and then you stop right
1: because like, it's good enough That you can do it The
2: idea that you can do it yeah, Is good it, enough But even. that's like Well once you practice Once you actually real? do it
1: Right Right like Bella Fleck well, Yeah Right Yeah but you've really Got to nerd
2: out on shit You know like for me I like to play guitar It's meditative I'll play a little harp I, I don't play a lot of harp I can, I can just I picked it up years ago And you know I can pick it up But I play guitar Pretty, pretty frequently you, you know But like I'm, just, I'm at this place Where it's like I, I know I can learn new things But I gotta sit and practice For two hours Do
1: you play every day?
2: Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, because I play on the show twice a week, certainly, at the end of the show, my show, or just dick around. But, like, I'm, I've definitely hit a wall. So, like, and I'm playing last night. I'm playing with a genius, this guy, Adam Menkoff and Jimmy Vivino. But Menkoff's one of these guys, hes a, he can play anything. You know, and I'm like, you know, he's just a savant guy. you know. But those kind
1: of guys, they fucking practice. Right. You, you, you know, you've got to you know, turn yourself inside out. I think it's great though that the greats practice so much. Like, like if you ever read about Jerry Garcia, Jerry Garcia played every day. You know, when the Dead tour was over, he would contact the Booker and he'd say, "Book me on Jerry tour." And he'd be like, "Dude, why are you doing another tour?" And Jerry said, "I heard this quote the other day." Jerry said, "I pick up the guitar every day. I want to get paid for it." (laughs) I just thought that was a great line because it's like it's it's what somebody who's committed to excellence does we're committed to, to well, doing and something And also
2: like it's like anything else with like with guitar for me the the beauty of playing with vivino and him is you know, sort of allowing me to play with him it's like you know he was conan he was in conan's band forever sure. and then he was conan's band leader and you know for years i would i would i don't even remember when it started but i do conan a lot and i'd always you know tell jimmy to show me something you know show me this lick I, how does you know peter green play that whatever and he would do it and then, like it, we, it became this tradition where he, he he'd leave a guitar in my dressing room, and you know, and I just sit back there and play it. And then he'd come back in. I'm like, all right, show me this. So he would show me licks over the years, and and that's how I learned things. So so the fact that he plays with me in L.A. and then he had me play with him last night, and I kind of fucked up a song, I think, and it, it bummed me up. But whatever. I'm See, that's it. I could choose to beat the shit out of myself. Sure. But the rest of the night went well, and we kind of regrouped. But I definitely fucked up because I'm not used to playing with people and I still get nervous and I can't like there's a lot for me to think about. But nonetheless, my point was the beauty of of learning that you don't really realize. And I do it stand up for me is that's where I live. So like and this happens all the time is that as soon as you learn something new. You know, you, like whether it's to get the third ball up when you're juggling or how to do a riff on the harmonica or a new lick on guitar. Is it like reinvigorates the whole everything for you? Like it, it, it becomes it adds like you could get bored with yourself. And, it, and as soon as you learn something new, everything's alive again. You just add it to your conversation of creativity because
1: it changes the combinations. You, yeah, all of a well, sudden you can would, add it's something. Just,
2: well, yeah, exactly. But it's just sort of like. Oh, it's you know this. It, like, it I can just, go here now. Yeah, it just lights it up, lights everything up.
1: When when you made this movie, how close had Lynn died?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, Lynn was dead. Yeah, yeah. I think it must have been like uh, God. When was that? I, I feel like it was maybe a, a year into the pandemic. I don't know when the you know when the vaccine came. It was just shy of that because know.
1: she died shockingly May. suddenly yeah. during COVID.
2: Yeah, just a few months in, yeah, in May.
1: And it was it was so in COVID that everyone was like she probably died of COVID and it's like and she didn't die of COVID.
2: No, she didn't die of COVID. It was just like she had some uh like undiagnosed uh blood cancer, a sort of like insidious kind of type of leukemia, uh, this like, acute myeloid leukemia that's very virulent and, and happens very quickly, but apparently not easy to detect. I don't know. You know, she was a person that was into um, a lot of naturopathic medicine. Uh, you know, she had figured out, you know, she had some uh, GI stuff that, you know, she, her whole life was really built around, you know, y- you know, managing a diet so she could, you know, exist without discomfort, like, because of certain issues she had. So she, I think, became very dependent on um, that type of medicine you know, trying to figure that stuff out.
1: And then this thing snuck up out of nowhere. It
2: did, you know, and I don't know, I'm not faulting anybody, you know, but, you know, she did go to a doctor for, for something that I think was connected to it, but the doctor didn't identify it. The problem at the beginning of COVID is that when she had this problem in her chest, it's like no doctors were seeing people in person. And she went and had a, a, a scan of this thing, and, it, and the doctor was, like, not concerned about a tumor. But it turns out, I mean, in retrospect, that... The type of blood cancer she had did cause some types of clotting that I think was, I think it was there to be seen, but it wasn't seen. But I don't know that the prognosis would have been much better other than she could have had a little more time.
1: My, my mom died very quickly from a really virulent uh, leukemia also, mm. uh, fast. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, she died. My mom died within 20 months or something. Yeah, um, But was if, she getting treatment? She was. Yeah. See, I, and, I don't know. If and I, point. it didn't. She went everywhere, and it didn't work. Yeah. You know. And uh, you stayed sober, obviously, after this. And, yeah. and there's, was it, it? Was it challenging? No. Was it even a thing? No. You were never like I can drink my problems no. away. No, dude. Like the, the, the one, the one thing. No, it was devastating.
2: The whole thing was devastating. You know, and it was it was very weird. And I'm talking about it on stage and it was just shattering cuz i you know i went down there you know i i mean i can't even explain to you uh you, you know cuz i'm trying to frame it on stage about grief and about ptsd and about you know death is that you know it's something that happens i mean you certainly know people who live in active addiction or have been in active you know you 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 know you see people drop you know but I don't know that people know how to talk about it. I don't know how that they know how to talk about grief. I, and I, I don't know. I think we're all afraid of the conversation and afraid of the realization. Right. But the point is like. I didn't think about using and and, you know, I got the day that she died, you know, that horrible day when someone you love is in the hospital fighting for their life. And at some point you realize it's not going to go the right way. This doctor said I could go, come down and see her, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, because COVID, no one's in the hospitals. He says, well, look, you know, I said, do people do that? He's like, I don't know what people do, but if you want to come see her, you, you know, I can make that happen. We're going to take her off the machines and she'll probably be gone. But if you want to come down and I'm like, I didn't even know what to do. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to call 11 people to see what I should do. I don't know what I should do. And I was like leveled, you know, and you're, I'm, yeah. but I ultimately after talking to people. I said, all right, I'll, I'll go. And I went down there to the ICU and he was like, look, you I got to tell you, we can't really clean up much because uh, the coroner has to sign off on her. And I'm like, you know, it's, you're not really selling this, you know, <laughs> so I'm like, but he said it'll be all right because they you know, so they were trying. You know, there was a lot of surgery during the day, but I went down there, dude. I drove down there like in complete shattered shock, you know, beside myself uh, and, you know, and went to the ICU and spent time with her after she'd gone.
1: You weren't going to get an opp- another opportunity to be with her. You had to do it. I mean, that's the. Way, I mean, if you didn't know, do know, it, you I would mean, go through the files and be like, "Why didn't I do that?"
2: Well, that's what that's what Michaela Watkins said. You know, I guess, but it was it's devastating. You because know, it's not like you know. First of all, Jews don't do open casket, and she was going to ultimately get cremated. But that you know how long it took is a whole other uh, thing. But but uh, yeah, I, I, I think I, I but I'll never be able to get that out of my head, and it was not it was not great. No, yeah.
1: I, I understand. I had to identify my mother's body, and when after Chris died, they did have an open casket, and I can't get that out of my head. It's, it's bizarre, and it's and it's devastating, and and doing but, comedy but in isn't grief, that part of it though? And a weird thing. None of us are gonna live forever. We're all it's. We're but all, there is a closure to it, and there is sort of something you should be because like the
2: you other know, time when people died in the house and stuff you know like you know you, you kind of you know they're gone out. they're not
1: just they're not just yeah, not and you around want, you've yeah. seen and them you
2: did everything you could you were there with them but i, I wasn't there with her and that was the sad thing it was a rough day but the point about using is that what i was going to say is that like you know one thing that misha always you know would say to me at the early sobriety was like you know was that you know the first step is the only one you have to work perfectly so you know in order to to accept powerlessness right. you really have to know in your guts that, that nothing's going to change if you have a drink. And if you have a drink, you, you sacrifice any sort of, you, 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 are not going to, it's, it, you're going to, it's over. And you don't know where your life is going to go. You know? So like, I really know in my heart that there's nothing that one drink is going to do. That's the other thing. It's like one drink. What are you going to do? It's a joke. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Like, you know, whatever happens, no matter what happens you you're like fuck it i'm going to drink and like well good luck with that how is that going to help anything you know what about tomorrow what about the next day i mean like when you drink and you're an alcoholic or a drug user then you're committing your life to it that the second you do it that your whole life that's it you've just recommitted and it's not going to help so i know that
1: and that's the whole point <laughs> yeah. if it wasn't the point we wouldn't be doing it you know what I mean? If there was a way to use and have a good time and have a nice life and put it down, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be sober right now. You know what I mean? Um, how about being a, a podcaster, a comedian, somebody that needs to generate good feelings, comedy, laughs when you're in dire straits, total grief, misery? I'm, I'm, but I'm,
2: like, I, I think all of my stuff was fueled out of... Uh,
1: misery, in <laughs> some way or that, another. Not, I don't
2: know if it's misery, but, but a, 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 a drive for understanding, self-relief, you know, like shared. You know, like I wanted to believe that everybody kind of thought like me, and I. It turns out it's not true. Um,
1: There's a good percentage, though.
2: I guess, but not really. You know, I'm not a huge act. You know, I'm still a boutique act in the big picture. But, but, but the truth is, like when I was working across the street here at Luna Lounge, yeah, I would go in there and just riff on, you know, just bitterness and this and that. And, and I assuming that everybody was at least very close to feeling that, but they they're not. So then at some point I tweaked it. And I'm like, all right, you can laugh at me. We right. don't all have to. You can laugh this. at the bitter Jew. Sure. Yes. But then I wasn't really bitter. I was prematurely bitter and it's all evolved. But I think a lot of it comes out of me, you know, finding relief in the communal activity of being understood and of of, of shedding light on things in the way that I see them, that people understand. And, you know, over time with the podcast and with the with the comedy, you know, you know, people are affected in a positive way. And, you know, I I tread in weird, dark waters. But, you know, they're pretty honest. But, you know, I still have a lot of problems. But I think a lot of it comes out of, of that. So I've always worked under a certain amount of duress, I, either self generated or other. But like a lot of the, I don't have any fear of, of doing it anymore. So, you know, so I don't put myself, like I'm not sitting, you know, in the back of the room while the feature's on going like, oh, fuck, this is going to suck. Right. They're going to fucking hate me. How am I going to perform for these? You don't even know what I used to do to myself. So I would guarantee, I would make sure that I was <laughs> destabilized. Totally, but the thing I want to tell you about the movie, which was really kind of interesting because it was an interesting decision, was that like I think that in real life the woman that this is based on because this is this is the kid's story, you know the the son yeah he that the guy that 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 character is based on wrote this thing about really? his mother okay it's a very personal story yeah now I I don't and and it's like obviously it's fictionalized but I don't think that that in real life, the character that Leslie is based on stayed sober right That's so, the big
1: question, right?
2: <laughs> of course but but you know there was a, a conversation about the ending, you know which was you know should when she takes that flask at the end, there was a conversation about you know should she drink you know and and Michael was calling people and that was when the recovery thing came into place. you know it came into play. Like he was trying to get opinions on this and, you know, and I said to him, I said, well, as a sober person, if she does that, it's over that, that then there's no hope. And, you know, the, the, it's like, it's over.
1: What a weird thing it would be, though, if she took the flask, she drank, she put it back in and it ended exactly the same way. Wouldn't that have been a crazy ending?
2: Yeah, it would. But like, you're already in this bleak shit with no fucking. Like, I love the ending. It was beautiful. Well, I had to go that way. But, uh, but yeah, that, that would have been so person. scary. Yeah, because you're like, oh, this all gonna start yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, that would have been the whole terrifying. The, there, there goes the diner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. So I was like, in, oddly, it's like it's not like it's a happy ending necessarily. It is though. It's a joyful, beautiful, happy. It's ending. an emotionally happy ending, you know. But like, but like me. Like okay, you want to play it straight, you know, you could do that, but then, but then where are you? Because in a, in a, as an alcoholic, you're like, oh, then you're back at square one, bro.
1: Hundred percent. And then, but there, there would be a sequel. There would be two Leslie too, yeah. if she if she took a drink. Yeah,
2: I don't know. It would I, have been I, I, out I, in you the streets. Back, you can Barely get people to see this fucking movie. At well, it's 98 good. on Rotten Tomatoes. But but Leslie, uh, Andrea Rice, bro. I gotta say, in watching the movie, she's I, incredible. Well, she really did it. I mean, like, you know, and he lets her do it. I mean, she, there's a lot of not talking going on there. And, you know, it's sort of profound as somebody who is not, I'm, I'm assuming has never hit that kind of bottom to right. find the emotional uh, kind of impetus of, of, of an alcoholic, that, that, that selfish sort of what about me shit and the anger right under the surface when she can't get what she wants,
1: holy shit, dude. You didn't talk to her about alcoholism. No, that's interesting. I have one last question, uh, which is, I know I have a community of listeners and I know our listener base is much smaller than WTF and, I, and I'm kind of like abreast to your community and you have a community of listeners. Yeah. How helpful were they, uh, or just being among them, giving them the show, giving them your story in your grief? How, how helpful was it to have that it was like
2: All of that was pretty important, you know, in the sense that, you know, because it was COVID and, you know, she passed and, you know, my brother came out immediately, you know, and, and we just, there was a lot of shit that had to be done. You know, like I chose like, you know, she was basically living with me during COVID and there was just like so many supplements, so much clothing, so much of her stuff. It's just you know and then you know she had just moved you know to la and there was a and she didn't had and didn't even really live in the new place yet and all her stuff was there so there's all this stuff to deal with and her family i don't know her family and you know uh you know i was in touch with them she had an uncle in town but no one wanted to travel because the COVID was so gnarly it was just like it was a lot so the truth is is when it happened you know they had it was in the variety it was in the trades you know and it was in the times and everybody from my community reached
1: out to me. You know, she was incredibly well loved. She and respected. was, but
2: you know, but like you know, guys like uh, you know, just
1: like guys you wouldn't have
2: anticipated, like comics coming out. You know, like sending me food, coming over, checking in. Jeff Ross. You know, like all, all of them. Jay Leno fucking called me. I don't know Jay Leno.
1: Nice. You that's know, just
2: to say I'm sorry. You know. So
1: that's very beautiful.
2: It was something, dude, and yeah, and then of course, yeah, the outpouring from fans was like, uh, oh, it was definitely comforting, and I was fortunate in that because I chose, you know, in my grief, it was difficult because you know she, I think she died on a Saturday, and you know we'd never missed a show, so like, am I going? Because if I'm the guy that does what I do and I and I show up for that shit, you know, uh, every show, no matter what I'm feeling, are we going to do a show on Monday? And Brendan was like, dude. You know, this is you know, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, and it's the worst thing that can happen to a guy. So you don't have to do anything. We don't have to do a show for a month. I don't give a shit. But you did it. I did do it that Monday, and I and I've I've not listened to it, but it was it must have been horrendous. Well, that it was, was so raw and fucked up. And then we ran the then we ran the interview with Lynn right after it. But it, I was in it. I mean, that was like two days after, and it was like that was looking back on it. it, it I, I I look, I've done shit. In, in a in a state that it probably would have been better to wait. Like I did a one man show in the basement of the Bleecker Theater based on my divorce when I was still in the middle of it. it right, was not funny. <laughs> I can't can't imagine it was funny. It, but it was you know engaging. But I felt the decision I made was like this is grief. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. You know I'm in it and I have no control over it. So just you know fucking do it. Show it. And I think that was hopeful to me and to people.
1: Well, when, when my when Chris died, yeah. we did the show two days later yeah. with the woman that found his body, Ugh. and it was horrible. Cry, everybody crying. I don't think either. Neither of us were crying. We what were like, matter with you? Are you dead inside?" Yeah. So two sociopaths. No, yeah. I think we were just. <laughs> I think we were just sick. You know what I mean? Sick, numb with grief. Uh, but I think you also had told me when we met. Put up, you know, you you put up the show every week. You know what I mean, and I, and I know that when I listen to you on your show, you talk to the audience, and the audience feels like you're talking to them. Mm. Each of them feels like you're talking to them. Yeah, and and I that, think that that has its pluses and minuses. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I have I have not the same thing, but a similar thing, mm. and I hear from a lot of people, and I know that when I'm going, it's weird if I'm going through something and somebody I don't really know knows that. Yeah. But I know there's also something comforting about it, especially when it's something as catastrophic as as I I was
2: fortunate, you know, that there was. But it's I also have to see it as reciprocity. Like, I'm fortunate in that. Like, yeah, sure. Not everybody gets hundreds and hundreds of emails, you know, when 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 a tragedy happens to them, you know, to feel supported. But but and, and I appreciate that. But it's not I wasn't really gunning for that, but it was something that was kind of beautiful. But I also know that there is a reciprocity to me sharing it. that like ultimately, you, you know what's more almost uh, you know humbling and 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 interesting, not interesting. But emotional for me is that when somebody says, look, you know, I was going, you know, somebody, I lost somebody and, you know,
1: and that fucking helped me.
2: It's service.
1: You're doing That's service. Right. So you
2: ask me if I sponsor people
1: hundreds. Okay. Take <laughs> take it easy. Listen, I wanted to ask you about ketamine and psychedelics, but I think we've, we we've, we've not cro- on board. We've crossed the not threshold. On board. Not even if you're, no. if you're whatever, no. depressed, no, you know, not a couple of microdose no. tablets of no, nothing. No. Why not? I don't know. I guess I'm old school. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks Mark. Thanks. So there you go. Mark Marin back on Dopey where he belongs. Such a such a joy to record with a uh, a podcaster like Marin. And uh he's a good guy, you know what I mean? Like he he acts like he's a dick, but he's not really a dick. He's very very giving. He's been very generous to us. You all know the classic story where I'm fucking waiting tables and serving matzo ball soup, and I get the message that, I don't know why I'm going to tell this story again, but David Chef, author of Beautiful Boy, father of Nick Chef, who's avoided Dopey like the plague, um, canceled his Dopey appearance, which actually became a postponement. I thought Dopey was going to be over. Chris had recently died. I didn't know what I was doing. I went out to the corner, and who came walking up the block? Mark Marin. And the rest is dopey history. And uh, after we recorded the show today, I went downstairs. He wanted me to get him a green and yellow Katz's T-shirt. So I went and I got him a green and yellow Katz's T-shirt. And I left uh, my hat there. So he was like, you left your hat here. Do you need it? So he gives me the hat. I give him the T-shirt. And then I look at my email. And it turns out he didn't send me the file of the interview. So he had to go back upstairs and he has to upload the show again and um and he's late and like for he has to go to town hall. He's doing a big comedy special in town hall and they're tech scouting the special. And he's trying to upload the episode and he's bugged out cuz he's going to be so late and he's watching the fucking, you know, the the file upload, and he knows he's late, and he's like, uh, he doesn't know what to do, and and I should have video, I should have shot it with my phone because he's like, should I close the computer? But if I close the computer, then I can't have my room cleaned because I can't leave the computer open with the 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 maid coming in. But if I close it, then you won't get the file, and I'm gonna have to deal with you later. And it was just, uh, it was classic. Uh, neuroses and Mark Marin is the king of that. So that was a joy. Although I also felt guilty that I was the source of this neuroses. But to do a podcast with Mark Marin is uh is such an honor and to do two and to have him, you know, pop in here and there has been just super cool. So I cannot be more grateful to uh Mark Marin for that. And the movie actually is as good as I said. I watched it twice. I watched it before I had lunch with him because I wanted to be able to talk to him about it. And then when he said he wanted to come on the show, I watched it with Linda, and we loved it. So if you're looking for a movie you know, with a lot of heart and a, a lot of addiction and a bit of recovery, not too much recovery, just a little bit, check out To Leslie. It's on Apple, it's on Amazon, and it's in certain artistic theaters around the country. Now, um, I want my dad to come on and talk about DopeyCon a bit. But before we do, I wanna play a voicemail. And I think you guys, you guys know that Brady Peck is an OG dope from the Dopey Nation who happened to win the DopeyCon theme song contest. I think you guys know that. And Brady sent in a voicemail. So I'm gonna play Brady's voicemail now. Here's Brady.
0: Dopey Nation, what up? It's Brady. Uh, I just wanted to send in a little quick voicemail real quick, uh, and also to start it out, I, I had something happen to me the day before DopeyCon and the day of DopeyCon that kind of reminded me of Matt Wiedemeyer Carroll's story when he first went to the first DopeyCon and unknowingly brought drugs with him in his wallet the whole time, but, uh, so, Thursday, two days before DopeyCon, I see a Ziploc bag laying out in my neighbor's driveway. And, you know, I was like, eh, should I pick it up and throw it away? But I was like, nah, I'm going to let them pick up their own trash. So I left it. And then the next day, Friday, I see it still there. So I'm like, ah, screw it. I guess I'll just pick it up and throw it away. I pick it up and it's. And it's got about probably a gram and a half of some weed in it, so I was like kind of kind of thought that was crazy, just that alone. but then next the next day, Saturday, I get up at three thirty a m to go to the airport to catch my flight to New York so I can go to dopecon and um, I get to new york take it take the subway. And then get to Penn Station, and I'm right, I'm I'm riding up the escalator, and um, I get to the top, and I see this little bag just kind of like tumbling, you know, on the last step to where the platform starts. And I was like, "What the hell is that?" And then um, turned out to be about like I don't know, looked like a quarter ounce of weed or something. So, and I don't smoke, so I there was. Um, Um, A guy standing near there So I just kind of kicked it over to him with the assist And asked him if he wanted it Because I told him I didn't smoke or whatever So I just thought that was crazy That I found weed on the floor two days in a row What are the chances? But anyway, uh, my voicemail is about the time that I got committed to to inpatient treatment by my parents, um, I was in my mid-twenties, I had, um, was out on probation on my prescription forgery case, and I was getting all out of control on benzos and, and opiates, so my parents went to the judge and had me committed, and so, my mom, I didn't know what was going on, my mom calls me up and st- Tells me that my girlfriend and I should come down to her house on the weekend. And she's like, You know, oh, yeah, you should bring a bag and pack some clothes and stuff in case you want to stay a few days, which was their way of getting me to pack for treatment without telling me I was going to treatment. But so, anyways, I get down there to my mom's. The uh, couple minutes later, after I pull in, then I see two sheriffs coming down her driveway. And I'm like, you know, what's what's up? What's going on with this? But uh so then the sheriffs come, and they s- tell me, you know, what the gig is that I've been committed to treatment and that I'm going up to Fort Dodge for a 30 a day inpatient treatment. So I had um some Oxy eighties in the car along with some Xanax bars and they were the they were there was just at the time when they changed the old Oxy-80s to the new tamper-proof ones. So, you know, um, that was a bad time for, for Oxy users. But anyway, um, so I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to treatment. Can I grab my wallet out of the car? And the cops were cool. They're like, yeah, I grab it. So I reach into the car, grabbed uh, three of the Oxy-80s and like eight or ten Xanax bars. I can't remember what. And I had already taken some on the way. So I popped three of the Oxy-80s, popped the eight or ten Xanax bars. They didn't see me do it somehow or whatever. So then um, they take me in the cop car and it's about an hour ride to the to the treatment. And as I'm getting closer and closer to the treatment, I'm starting to not out more and more and the cops can tell I'm getting like really messed up but um they get me to the treatment I'm you know I'm super high but the the oxy's and the Xanax are starting to kick in really hard so they get get me up to this intake room and um let me just like hang out and lay down in there and chill for a little bit before I start on my paperwork and whatnot, and um, then I guess around that time is when the the Oxys and the Xanax really kicked in, because they came back to wake me up to do my paperwork and stuff, but I was unresponsive, so they had to, because I had overdosed, and um, so they had to call the ambulance to come to the treatment, to come Narcan me, and get me and take me to the hospital and um i just remember i woke up being wheeled out of the treatment on the gurney by a paramedic giving me a sternum rub if anybody's ever had one of those 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 hurt bad but um so then yeah they took me to the hospital for like three days and uh luckily i had a cool security guard who would sneak me out to smoke cigarettes even though it wasn't allowed there but but yeah so that's how i made my entrance to that treatment was overdosing and having the ambulance called on me so people gave me shit for that the whole time i was there but uh anyways that's that story i've got a couple more i'll send in sometime as well stay strong dopey nation and toodles for chris
1: so that was Brady. I love the fact that he found uh, two bags of weed in two days and didn't smoke them. And now we've brought my father to the back to the show. So welcome back to the show. Hi everybody. Hello. My dad is still high on Dopecon.
4: Very, very much so.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. Do you tell everybody?
4: Oh yeah. No. Yes, I did. Uh, every well, I haven't been talking to so many people recently.
1: Well, everyone, have you you spoken to? Have you told them about Dopecon? Yes. Yes, and uh,
4: I feel really good about it. You st-
1: yeah, my dad is still high on Dopecon, even
4: though you, 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 David made me run around like a nut boy. He he leaves everything to the last minute. It's amazing. What do you mean? Who had to get T-shirts the day before and 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 Costco stuff for snacks and water and who had to do that?
1: Well, I had to do it, and you did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, which I appreciate. Uh, So that was good. You did. You picked up the T-shirts from Phil in Brooklyn and really high quality T-shirts. So what's your big takeaway for this show?
4: Well, I I mean, it was so enjoyable for me. You know, like I was, you know, I stood at the near the opening, you know, uh, when people were walking in. I was the only one who's dressed like with a with a sports sports jacket and a tie. Why did you dress up for
1: Dopeycon like I, that? I
4: thought it was. I thought. I thought it was so important that that I should. I should be dressed so that so I would look good. You know, in terms of being. You a did The old
1: guy. You so you heard what Joe Schrank said about you. You looked like the guy at rehab who's annoyed. What did he say? Something about that. Who was who was
4: upset about paying paying for rehab? Exactly,
1: <laughs> which you which you were several times.
4: Right, but the, wait a minute. At that moment, at that moment. I got this huge applause from from the dopey people, and and you said something like, "What are you applauding for?" I, you know, I was a heroin addict for thirteen years. Was he Father of the Year? And then I turned around and looked at Jimmy and uh, and Devin, uh, David's best friends, and they looked at me saying, <laughs> 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 they gave me," they gave me this look like, "Yes, he's still blaming you." <laughs> well,
1: listen, I stand by that. I stand by that. Listen, you did go to Costco. You yes. did. You did go to t to get the t shirts. Absolutely. But with I, Jenny, by the way. But yeah. I was a heroin addict for you know at least thirteen years. So how could you possibly be <laughs> the father of the year? I think I'm going to let go of this shtick soon, but I still <laughs> feel pretty good about it. What was your fate? What was the worst thing at Dopeycon? Let's start with that.
4: The worst thing. Yeah. The the. Um Uh, At the beginning, I didn't hear Brady's song. That was that
1: was a big mistake. Yeah, I'll tell you, I had this vision that it would, and not that you know what this means, but (laughs) that it was would be like the MTV Video Music Awards, and they would start the MTV Video Music Awards with like an artist without introducing them, and and it would go, and that was part of like our production issues. We had a lot of production issues, and one of them was it wasn't dark enough when he came on there was no spotlight on Brady the lighting wasn't dramatic enough the music wasn't loud enough. Brady needed a proper introduction We just played a voicemail from Brady actually Oh good did you meet Brady?
4: I guess I did I don't even know it was I, a blur huh? I, I there was so many people it was wonderful I mean I, I, I had my picture taken with people and uh, and it was fat you know it was it made
1: me feel good uh, you want to hear something ridiculously fucked up? Uh-oh, what? The the audio crew who recorded it fucked it up. They yeah. messed the whole thing up. And I found out that they got high in the middle of DopeyCon. That's... Uh, that's Despicable. It's, it's outrageous. Outrageous. It's, uh, it's horrible. And my friend John got high with them and then bragged about it to Devin.
4: John Witterow? The
1: same. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What do you call it? So...
4: so uh, but th- these guys were supposed to be professional.
1: Yes. Th- indeed. Is there
4: any way of fixing it? Fixing? Howie,
1: Howie fixed it. Oh, good. Thank God for Howard. That Howard? Howard Beach Bucks found. <laughs> Howard is terrific. Yeah, it's it's, it's hooray amazing. For, hooray for Howie.
4: Hooray for Howie. So, wait a minute. Did they mess up the video also part?
1: Howie messed up the video, I'm oh, sure. Oh, no. I'm sure if anything's wrong with the video, it's definitely Howie's fault. Well, and when, Howie did not get high in the middle of it. When is the video coming out? I don't know. you got to ask Howie. Soon. More will be revealed, as they say. So, what are your other takeaways from DopeyCon? What do you want to share with the Dopey Nation about this experience?
4: You were were pulling the same nonsense. Dad, how about reading the email? I I don't have an email.
1: It's a review, it's not an email. Whatever the heck. Listen, I'm going to say two things at the same time. First of all, how could you say two things at the same time? it's, It's not easy. The first thing, Dad, is that you have to admit it was a good premise. The idea... Explain
4: to the folks out there what you're talking about.
1: They heard... If you didn't hear the show last week, we played DopeyCon. And the grand finale of DopeyCon, my, my vision was going to be to... You know, there's a review that I... Dad, you want to read the review just so they know what... <laughs> Don't what, start. <laughs> just so that they know what I'm talking about. Maybe you should read the review Don't just start. so... No, well, no. I was trying to basically... There's a review that a woman wrote in that was a one star review, you know, saying that our show is for privileged white people and calling my dad wealthy, which somehow is the worst thing that you can call him. Yeah. Um and he takes that very very badly. He hates the one star review, but he hates being called wealthy worse than anything. Who knows why? He has an opulent lake house. He lives on the <laughs> 21st floor <laughs> of a building. You, you know, he has it pretty good. He wears a nice sport coat to Dopecon. Oh, anyway, right, enough, the enough. premise was um was I would get an actor to play New York City Sarah, and my dad would be so excited that she wanted to make peace that he would be willing to make peace with her yeah. so don't you so, so
4: here's my side hold on of the no, story. no, but Not you right? have
1: to admit. It's a good premise. It was a good premise. It's a funny bit. All
4: right. So so I'm sitting on the stage, and of course he says, uh, you know, read the review. And I said, I don't have any review. So he hands me this piece of paper. Is that <laughs> when you
1: knew it was fake? Of
4: course I knew. I mean, I knew the whole thing was for you.
1: But how did you know it was fake?
4: Because you were trying to get me to read it again in front of all these people. And I knew that if I didn't read it, I would mess up your whole routine. But
1: no, no, that, that's, that was the backup psychology. Yeah. Yes. But the front <laughs> psychology was that I figured if you saw New York City Sarah was there, like, what if it was actually her? There's no way. I know that wasn't her. You were right, my, and my dad didn't believe it, and my dad, you did a really good job. Yeah. You really, I, everyone thought you believed it. I uh, told
4: everybody at the end that I didn't, by the way.
1: Listen, good. you pulled it off. You did a great job. I have to compliment oh, you. thank goodness. Um, but if it actually was New York City Sarah... You wouldn't you feel compelled to read the review? Oh, sure. So maybe next year (laughs) at DopeyCon, New York City Sarah will actually be there.
4: Look, she wrote a one-star review four years ago. She's not going to be
1: there. Do you want to hear something really strange? That when you look at their reviews, which you used to look at all the time. I still do. If you look at the reviews, okay, and you go to most critical reviews, okay, It doesn't come up as four years ago. It comes up as June 26, 2022. Because you put it up. I I didn't. That was your second chance of tricking me. I didn't. I didn't put it up. Oh. I did not put it up. So who put... Can someone else do that besides her? I don't know. So what I'm saying is New York City, Sarah, if you're out there, write another review, write an email, maybe come to DopeyCon next year. I mean...
5: Listen, yeah.
4: I agreed with most of what she said, except the part where she's 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 saying how wealthy I am with this. The pent there's not a penthouse; I'm on a top floor. It's hot in the summer. I mean, you, it, it, the opulent lake house is falling apart. She didn't
1: mention the. the, the SS- do you want to read the review just so you remember what it is? <laughs> no, I'm not reading. that. Do you want to read? Uh, what else do you have to say about DopeyCon? Can't read it. I don't see anything. What other? What else do you have to say about DopeyCon? Oh no, no, it was
4: terrific. It really, was terrific. Um, what
1: was your favorite thing about it?
4: Oh, well, I got another thing that you messed up. Yes. The ending.
1: What ending? You you do the thing with me. Oh, you know what? I'll tell you to be totally truthful, to be transparent with you and the Dopey Nation. It was just too long. And I needed, I needed the show to be be but done. But you have
4: to have the song.
1: We right? did the song.
4: Only because I screamed the news. I
1: was going to do it. I was going to do it. I, I didn't have a smooth transition into the, the song. Dopey Nation,
4: he wasn't exactly smooth.
1: But it was a decent version of the song. Yeah, it was good. I, it didn't feel good at the time, but I heard the version thanks to Edward. Uh, Edward gave me the version. You know, the sound guys didn't even have the mic on my guitar on. So the mm-hmm. version I played on the last song was Edward from the Dopey Nation's version.
4: That he actually could record on his phone, he heard it so well. Yeah, because you hear him singing. Yes, and during his- it's very sweet. Yeah, and
1: also a lot of people in the Dopey Nation have, have been concerned about me lately because of my Twitter activity. But I have to tell everybody I'm fine. I just I'm not what, good at Twitter.
4: What's What's the problem? What's I've the- just
1: been tweeting stupid stuff.
4: Listen, I I, I got rid of it. Twitter? Yeah. Why? Because it was showing me horrible stuff from Japan or somewhere.
1: What did it show you? Oh, it was, you know,
4: like, I don't know, porn, I guess. And I just, Japanese
1: pornography on your re- Twitter?
4: Uh, it was ridiculous. I couldn't get rid of I mean, finally, I just said that I'm not listening to any of this stuff.
1: So you're done with Twitter? I'm
4: done with it. Now, I never did anything with it anyway. I never twitted whatever you... Tweeted. tweeted. So, there you is, tweet, so,
1: tweeted. So, so there is nothing, no... You can't think of one specific highlight from Dopeycon except for the fact that you didn't fall for the bit, but you read the review. No, I. So which listening. means you kind of fell for it.
4: No, I did not. Either
1: way, you read the review, and I, maybe I, next I year, was New York City, okay. Sarah will actually be okay. there.
4: Uh, no, I, I felt. Oh, the guy, uh, There was a guy walking around, uh, like making a documentary or something, and he interviewed me. Yes. So he said, "Are you proud of your son?" Nice. And I said, "I said, I, you know, I am incredibly proud of my son." And I went on and on saying that. And then I said, "Then, of course, I said he's a pain in the neck." <laughs>
1: right. So- you want to hear something crazy? So after DopeyCon was over, and you know, I was, you know, you knew that during the MC Search interview, yeah, my phone is ringing oh. because the Mexican food is coming and no one's there to get it but me. That was another mistake. Yes, that was bad.
4: Listen, the the, the organizer of the show, David, <laughs> uh, it, it needs to get his act together for next year. In other words. Don't do everything at the last minute and delegate responsibilities to others. So you're
1: saying someone else could have received the Mexican food instead of me?
4: I would think that
1: would have been a smart move. Did you eat any of the rice and beans?
4: It, a, a little bit. But you did? So I mean, you got it for vegetarians and then nobody even announced that it was there for them to, to eat it. When
1: was someone going to announce anything?
4: You were supposed to say, by the way, there's cats' food here and there's the Mexican food there.
1: So you're saying that was a mistake?
4: Of course it was a mistake.
1: Did you eat any
4: cats's? Oh, it was delicious. You had pastrami. Oh, that was so good, really good. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, I had two. You had <laughs> two. Had two, yeah.
1: <laughs>
4: you had standing. Who did you talk to? No, I didn't. No, so, uh, somehow Jenny G- G- cut in front of the line. Said that David's father is starving, and, and uh, I guess Jose, you know, gave it to her. And then, like an, an hour later, when everybody was finished, I walked up and said. Can I have another uh, you know, sandwich? And he said, you already got one already. That's so good. I, so, so I said, yeah, but I'm still hungry.
1: Funniest thing was that there was a company that donated these plant-based energy drinks, and you were obsessed oh, right. with these fucking drinks oh. all night. While I'm on stage, you're like, David, help me take the I, drinks out of the I, fridge and not put not them on, on the sta- table. You were not Whenever I was doing anything, you're like, come here, help me with the, the energy drinks. And then at the end of the show, you were like, Maybe I'll take some home. Oh, was, listen! What did you take home from there? I, I,
4: nothing. Are I you mean, sure? No, no rice, rice and, and three, beans. Three, three cans of those. Drinks. The energy oh, drinks.
1: Dopey nation. They
4: were terrible. I mean, uh, by the way, but I had to lug them all the way over to the church in my car. I had to take carry them downstairs, and then he he, he forgets to serve them. Now the poor home. He who. You. We served them. No, you did not. Didn't we
1: serve them? No. None of them got served?
4: None, except the ones I handed out to people. We should have delegated that. (laughs) But yeah, but about eight cases of the stuff was, was left in the refrigerator of the church. To give, you know, for the soup kitchen. I can't imagine how many people wound up being unhappy. Hospitalized? Uh, ha- yeah, terrible.
1: Well, maybe, it's, it, maybe it was, they liked it. Was it was a
4: very high caffeine drink. I I drank half a can and said, that's it. Did I you
1: stay drink. up all night?
4: Uh, I don't know. Not really. I think I, I fell
1: asleep. Now, we haven't had you read actual reviews on the show for a little while. and I, And I don't think we've gotten an actual review on the show for a little while. But we have a new one from Joey Pepper. And uh, Joey Pepper really? felt very bad about uh, all of his shenanigans over the years. So he left this new review uh, for you to read, Dad. And I think he even mentions you in the review, which I know you like. Just come here. Just just get up and come over here. And we didn't read this one either. I don't think we've read a bunch of these. Oh, did you see this one? Read this one. Moe the Surgeon. You'll like this one. Uh, oh, I can't even see you.
4: Oh, you're starting
1: again. No, no, it's not that. Look at it. You really aren't a good reader in your old oh, age. Boy. Oh, my God. He's going to fall over the whole thing. Privileged white guy.
4: So what? Yeah, I did read this guy. Uh, five stars. Uh, yeah. So these two, uh, Chris and David, are were from very comfortable backgrounds and had some pretty good access. So what? The show plays it straight, it sincerely cares, and it speaks to a lot of people who need it. There are plenty of tepid sobriety shows. This one started different, and the nature of things brought them to more and more recovery, too. Tra- tragic and beautiful along the way. Thank you.
1: Now, which other one do you want to read? Do you want to read Jerry Stahl, Stahl Love It, or I Owe It All to Dopey?
4: Oh, Joey, let me read the Joey Pepper one. Okay. So he actually did write this, huh? All right, and uh, Five Stars by Joey Pepper. If it, All right. Are you sure I should read this? Yeah. Uh, if it weren't for Dave and his awesome podcast, Dopey, I'd probably be on Kensington Avenue strung out on fentanyl and crack. But, man, I got to tell you, Dopey has really got me through some hard times and kept me off of Kensington Avenue and away from the fentanyl and crack. So I owe it all to Dave and Doby for really getting me through some hard times. Dave, you're Jesus to me, and Alan is God. Joey, please, get get real. All right, and Alan is God. So thanks, Jesus and God. You dudes have really gotten me through some hard times and kept me clean, even though I'm not clean and won't be. Oh, what's that's terrible. I still say thank you, Dave. I mean, Jesus Christ, thank you for keeping me off Kensington Avenue and away from the fentanyl and crack. And, Alan, I couldn't have done it without you. I haven't really done anything, but thanks anyway. Dopey rules. Praise Jesus. Oh, yeah, and God, too. A.K.A. Alan, you guys rule. Now,
1: what do you have to say? First of all, thank you, Joey Pepper. That's a really sacrilegious but but saccharinely sweet uh, uh, review.
4: No, uh, and, and we're sure that he
1: wrote that then, right? What's what I'm finding what's the difference? We don't know any if anyone wrote anything all right Joey I, Pepper could have written
4: the so New York City Sarah doesn't it but he seems to be admitting that he's still he's still oh yeah, uh, not sober.
1: Joey Pepper says specifically thanks for keeping me clean even though I'm not clean and won't be
4: yeah. Uh, well, listen. He wrote a five-star review.
1: And he wrote many five-star reviews. He over wrote the a years. one-star review. He wrote several one-star reviews <laughs> along the way too. But Joey Pepper is Dopey Nation through and through. He yeah. had a couple weeks clean a year ago or so. Yeah. Wow. Listen, what listen, are you gonna do? I wish do? him the best. That's we for sure. we wish him the best. Yeah. And then Jer- and then B birdell writes Jerry Stahl five stars. I finished nine 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 last week and unfortunately had to miss Jerry's reading here in Los Angeles. So it was doubly great to hear him on dopey i love him and dopey and i love did you like jerry Stahl on the show
4: yeah he was very good yeah
1: do you have any any criticisms about you haven't criticized the show in months so what's your give us a criticism
4: um i, I hate to admit this but i i, I don't have any criticism. none no well i haven't thought about zero it. See, not too oh. many
1: ums well, and you know and no, all that
4: no uh you even stopped asking people, do you want to hear this? You just played the thing and uh, and that would be the way to do, do it. Do you want to hear a voicemail before no, we go? No,
1: I don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it?
4: Let's talk about fantasy basketball.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ. This is important. Yes.
4: Uh, no, listen, you have to join the league.
1: All right, Dopey Nation. My dad, he's. I think he's only obsessed with one thing, which is fantasy basketball. Fantasy basketball starts with the basketball season, which is next week. Yeah. Um, my dad, how many uh, simulated drafts have you done in the past 40 days?
4: About 25.
1: 25? <laughs> how long <laughs> no, does it it's not take? not
4: 40 days. It's in the last three weeks.
1: And and, and you've done 25 Maybe simulations. More. What does that mean? It's practice. What are you... <laughs> Getting
4: into the routine. And my dad... <laughs> you, have to, you have to react quick.
1: My dad grew up with a man named Seymour Blank. Yes. And uh, my, my dad... My dear friend Seymour. My dad desperately wants... And Seymour has two sons, right, David, David and, and Daryl. David and Daryl blank. And right. so my dad desperately... We need to beat the blanks. My dad wants to beat the blanks. And uh, I don't think we're capable of beating the blanks. Yeah, maybe not, but we have to try. This... Fantasy basketball for me is just another thing I'm going to forget to do. Like Good Morning Dopey, it looks to me like <laughs> no, another version of Good, much Morning Good
4: Morning Dopey. better than Good Morning. As a matter of fact, even if you miss the draft, the the, uh, the auto autopilot- draft would
1: draft better than I would.
4: <laughs> no, I, you just just right, sense him with the thing and get into it. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. For
1: who? For, for you? For you? And, and he also. The other thing about my dad is, if I'm winning. He's not nice to me, and if I'm losing, he gloats, and then he asks me to trade him my good players for his bad players. It's no, ho- it's horrible. It's not, not There's true. nothing good about it's, fantasy it's, basketball. It's fun. It's a the only fun. good thing that could you come could from it. Watch the Knicks play. No, I watch the Knicks play either way. But the only good thing that could come from it is if I actually won, and I could gloat. But I'm not gonna win. I'm gonna lose because I you can't no keep confidence. up with it.
4: You really you need to have confidence.
1: All right, listen. And uh, by dopey nation. It's a matter
4: of luck sometimes too.
1: I don't want to talk about this. Okay. Anymore. Now before before we go, I want to I want to ask your opinion. Do you guys think I should play fantasy basketball in this horrible league? This horrible I, horrible league. You have to do league. it
4: by Sunday. Sunday's the draft.
1: Sunday's the draft.
4: Nine o'clock in the morning Sunday. You uh, got to do it. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. I don't.
1: I don't. I, so send in an email. Let me know if you think I should do. The fantasy, basketball. I'm regretting mentioning that the sound crew got high in the show, but I think it's worth mentioning on, on a show about drugs.
0: That's
4: terrible. Terrible.
1: God. Terrible. Um, I heard you and Ginny were uh, were taking acid downstairs in the middle of it also.
4: Stop. Stop already, please. Just anyway,
1: um, what was I going to say? And leave a review and my dad will read it on the show. And and you're going to suspect they're not real. No, no,
4: no. If Joey Pepper... Please, get better, but thank you for the great review.
1: What didn't sound real about Joey? He, he
4: I don't know. He, re- he said
1: that he's, that's because he's high. Calling
4: Jesus, oh, that's right. Yeah, He's high. He admits he's high. He, he says the
1: same thing five times. <laughs>
4: exactly. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's him. It adds All up. Right. All right, Joey, it's you.
1: But before we end the show, I want to thank Susie Carnes for doing such a good job at playing New York City Sarah. Although... Her really definitely not being a New Yorker, did that give it away at all?
4: No, no, no. Uh, she was really terrific. Uh, and, you know, when she got on stage, you know, she so she made this whole speech about apologizing that she sent the one-star review. And then, uh, and then she said some nice things about me, which, of course, you said you made a comment saying enough already. That's, you know, too much. But uh, it was very, very sweet of her. Uh, and afterwards she you know she came up to me and and said she was a nervous wreck about the whole thing and
1: she's she a big she's a big like nightclub singer oh she's terrific yeah really she was terrific. in the new, i was scared you were going to recognize her from the dopey podcast the dopey con theme song challenge because she she s- did two songs in that
4: oh no i didn't recognize that no
1: but before we go we just got a last second voicemail from english dope annika ellie aka annie ellie and she sent in her Dopeycon review and uh we're gonna play that now here she is annie ellie and she says it's under duress because i was like give me the review and she's like i'm going over to me mate's house now and maybe i'll record it when i get there and i'm like i need it now and she's like Damn it, Dave, what are you giving me all these problems? And now she says she has duress. But here's Annie Ellie, it.
5: Hey, Dave. Hey, Dopey Nation. So I'm going to do a bit of a review of DopeyCon. I feel like I'm under so much duress, but we won't go into that. But also, I'm doubling up. I've come to see my friend for the first time since I got back from the US, so I feel like once this is done, she won't have to... <laughs> she'll have she'll have heard everything so um oh my god i'm covered in cat food so i've got some notes here so that i don't miss anything off um so i both attended and have since listened to the dopicon which is good because some of the stuff i i don't know if it's i just didn't get it because of the language barrier (laughs) Which is bizarre because we all speak fucking English. Anyway, so the whole experience, I'm going to start with being collected uh, collected from the airport by the very amazing downtown Ray Brown. Which was such a great touch and he picked a few of us up and we had a bit of a tour through the back streets of um, Queens, Jamaica... Saw loads of stuff. It was really cool. <clears throat> and then meeting all the dopes in the wild as well. At the pizza night on the first night in the hotel. That was that was just like epic. So, con, And um, we got there. And Alan was one of the first people who I saw. Um, apart from all the dopes. And that was... I was like, oh my god, is Alan, does Alan know who I am and stuff? Um, because... We obviously hear each other, but we don't see each other. So then, if I go into all the acts... Oh, yeah, and I met Dave and Linda, and that was great as well. All of it. Meeting all of you. So, yeah, um, at the beginning, then we had Chloe LeBranche, and she was funny as shit, and she had some fire leggings. And fire legs, actually. I'm trying to remember some of her jokes, but I can't remember them. And as I said, I'm under giraffes to do this, so it's not going to happen. Um I think next was Maya Stanovich. I don't have the programme, I'm just doing this on the fly. Um, I'm definitely gonna read her book. I really like what she had to say. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely gonna read that. That was a really good that was she was like one of my favourite guests, actually, and I'm really excited to hear her when she comes on the show. So then I think it was Brandon Novak. I've got, <laughs> just had my mate Google. What's that fucking game show host from the Hunger Games called? Caesar Flickerman. Why was he dressed like Caesar fucking Flickerman? So yeah, that was that was intriguing. And um, but no, it was really it was really good to see. Do you know what? Actually, fuck this shit. Right, so his Dopey story about trying to have sex with his mum my oh my god no I can't say it on here I'll do it I'll save it for another time (laughs) but I identified with that let's just (laughs) I identified with that but I'm not ready to um I'm not ready to go there um so yeah and Andy Roy he was sweet I didn't really get his story I listened to it again um incidentally driving on the coast road down to San Francisco and I still didn't get it so maybe I need to do a third listen and then I've got Erin Carr she was adorable and I met her and I spoke to her at the end and she was just so sweet and finding black tar heroin in your jumper when you're dope sick in New York like (laughs) what a legend and I haven't written his name down but I've (laughs) You know, MC search, Dave. What the fuck? Um, I was, you, Do you know, he started off great. It's like I hid my addiction for 32, 33 years. I'm like, go on, like let's hear how you did this. And he's like, yeah, so when I was smoking weed, I'm like, oh, fuck my life. And I've since listened to his story, and it's bollocks. <laughs> it holds no weight. Holds no weight. I don't get it. I don't understand it um i hope he's not listening or if he is he's good at taking feedback um so yeah that is the full dopey experience i was gonna do my review of the um cannabis dispensaries in san francisco but i've been asked to do this instead so i'll save that for another day there you go hope you enjoyed it too,
1: You see how she didn't review your New York City Sarah bit, Dad? Oh, you see that?
4: Well, all right. I don't know. Is that good or bad? That's I don't know. Not, maybe it's not memorable.
1: She didn't like MC Search though.
4: Uh, but and it's interesting because she didn't understand some of the people's language, and <laughs> neither did I. <laughs>
1: Well, We'll leave it there. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. What do you think of Annie Ellie's review in oh, general? Oh,
4: she's terrific. I, I was very happy to meet Annie. Me a-
1: too. I wish I had gotten... Annie volunteered to come down before the show and help out, but she just didn't come. Oh,
4: well... Yeah. So maybe
1: I should have delegated stuff to <laughs> Annie. Yeah,
4: maybe she'd have, she could have done the Mexican food. Stuff. Yeah,
1: maybe maybe next DopeyCon, Annie can handle getting the Mexican food. But I was so glad that she came, and thank you for your review. And thank you, Dad, and uh, thank you everybody who's contributed and Mark Marin and Brady and all the rest. And you want to say goodbye?
4: Yeah. Bye-bye, everybody. Toodles for
1: Chris. And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris.
3: What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious and it's just gotten me through some really hard times And though I'm not clean myself you know it gives me a lot of hope for the future Um, I really like Dave's song and I'm gonna do a little cover of it here on my banjo hope y'all don't mind too much I wrote a uh, third verse myself sorry about the poor quality it's just on my phone uh, sorry about the banjos Things hard to keep in tune. <clears throat> I
6: wanna take a walk around the world. I wonder what it do me any good till I get some honey in my pockets, and I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. And I wanna be good. So bad, wanna be so good. So bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. I wanna take a ride up in the sky, I watch those airplanes just passing by. I want to see a Lear jetliner, take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive I want to be good, so bad I want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had In the burned out basement listening to the dopey show Home friends I had are on this little radio I keep checking on my pulse because it feels like I might die But the thought straightening up sounds so much better when you're high And I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad that desire's all I ever had.
3: Well, I <laughs> hope y'all hear this. Makes it through the. Uh... Big inbox emails, feel free to play a clip on the show if you want, if not I know it kind of sucks, alright, I really appreciate it,
0: thanks y'all.